Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the Undisputed Podcast with Bobby Finley. Oh, why are you talking like that? My announcer boys. Yeah, that's a little too much, I think. Moving on, welcome to the Undisputed Podcast. There it is. Gentlemen, how's everybody doing? Very festive. Very festive. All right. All right. Yeah. The holiday holiday season is is upon us. This is the uh, the week of um, Thanksgiving. Frank's uh, wearing a scarf. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but uh, we kind of set him up for that, Dennis. It's almost like we um, ribbed him. Yeah. A little good bit. Rib, a good rib. Good rib. Yeah. By not, we'll go with uh, it. Yeah. Yeah, but anyway, this week on the Demipod, we have a, a special guest, and uh, this will be the first time I think that we kind of veer um, into a, a little bit different direction. Um, I, for one, am excited about that and uh, excited about this week's guest. Our guest this week is Justin Lovato. Nice to meet you guys. Yeah. How are you, sir? Good, thank you. Good, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, life treating you well there in um, uh, near Austin, Texas, but I forgot the... Uh, Round the Rock. Round Rock. Round Rock, Texas. Yeah, I like it here. I've been here for about a year now, almost exactly a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like it. It's good. Good. Suits me. Good. That's awesome. Um, I've always heard uh, great things about Austin. Um, experienced a little bit of Austin. Is is uh, Red Rock and Austin um, kind of one and the same? Or um, it's uh, uh, about twenty minutes north, and uh, it's not it's not as the same. You know, downtown, the city, and stuff like that. I'm in more of a neighborhood type setting on the outskirts a little bit. Gotcha. Uh, but all of Texas is is pretty much growing very very quickly, so um, it's uh, it's got a lot of similar things. But Austin has its own little its own little uh, quirks and unique uh, establishments that are really fun to go check out. Um, I, I have a little bit more of like um, bigger corporations here, which I'm not very fond of. So if I like to go check out some nice spots, I do go downtown. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Texas is, uh, and, and Austin specifically definitely growing. Um, I know, uh, they count Joe Rogan as uh, a member of their population at this point. Um, there's, uh, another guy who I have, um, followed, uh, in a, he's in, I don't know, not, not the same realm at all, but, but similar, um, just, uh, his is a, a bit more of a religious direction, which at a time in my life really kind of, um, just fit the bill for sure. But Steve Weatherford is, uh, another guy. He was uh, a punter for the giants mm. and, um, he moved to Texas recently with his family. He's got, I think he's got six children, his wife and six children. And, um, they moved, it might be Austin, but no, you know what? It's not, but it is somewhere in Texas. So you're right. Like Texas is, is growing fast. Um, I heard Austin at one point was compared to like, um, San Francisco back in the day, Mm, similar vibe. Yeah, I wouldn't know. I mean, I've been to San Francisco. Um, the crime is wild there, and the homeless situation is I've really heard. 
Uh, where Austin is, it doesn't seem that that way at all. It seems very safe here. Okay, um, nice. Yeah, yeah. And the weather is much nicer here than it is in San Francisco. San Francisco is mostly cold and pretty rainy. Cool. Gets hot there in Texas. It does. Uh, <laughs> I, I realized, though, I actually like the heat. I don't mind. I think because I probably train in it outside. Yeah. And uh, I do have access to my cold therapy daily. So I think um, I do okay with it, with those two yeah. facts. Yeah. Cool. So a um, little backstory as to how this came about. So um, ironically enough, Mark Bell, uh, who also has a podcast called The, the Power Project, um, Mark and I played one year of college football, uh, junior college together. And uh, ironically enough, his older brother, Mike Bell, was into pro wrestling, which would eventually become my occupation. Um, I knew Mike Bell also. Um, and in the small world that it was, he was actually um, linked through my older brother somehow. Anyway, story for another day. But I heard Justin, uh, I heard you on Mark's podcast. And it immediately stuck out to me um, some of the meditation discussion and whatnot um, caught my ear and um, trying to find that, um, you know, peace and, and things like that was, was something that resonated with me. And as soon as you mentioned the book, one of the books that had gotten you in that direction, it was Joe Dispenza. I don't remember if it was becoming supernatural or. Mm, yeah, I think so. Um, yeah. And, and, and I had read, three of his books, one of them being Becoming Supernatural, um, Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself, and, and uh, I don't remember the other one, but those all got me into doing stuff that previous to this, I would, at that time, would have just been like, ah, it's just too woo-woo for me. Yeah, I'm not there. Um, and that was kind of what you guys were talking about. And then when they also, uh, you know, early in that podcast, you guys discussed your background and, and your time spent in bodybuilding, et cetera, et cetera. And like, you know, I like to work out. I get, you know, it's a, it's a happy place for me. So uh, to hear that sort of dichotomy, you know, and to, to, to look at you, you're not the guy that somebody would expect when somebody's like, yeah, this is, you know, my, yoga coach or my, um, my meditation teacher or whatnot. So, um, and what really caught me was then hearing some of your commentary on, on Joe's, uh, work. And, uh, I had sort of similar dots that I thought I connected. So I really wanted to have a conversation with you, um, you know, about that. Mm. Um, Very cool. yeah. So, I guess the way that uh, I, I, I think we should go into this is, so that's how this came to be. And I, I certainly want to come back to that, but let's start with you, Justin, um, growing up where you grew up, um, what you did. I, I know a little bit of it from the podcast, but uh, please, I, I don't know about our listeners and I certainly know Frank and Dennis, um, they don't pay attention to anything, so. <laughs> well, uh, my, child, my childhood where I grew up was in upstate New York, uh, a small town called Canada, about 11,000 people. 
And uh, I grew up playing a lot of uh, sports, a lot of high level sports. It was a sports town where I grew up, very competitive. Um, I got into wrestling, um, folk style and uh, Greco-Roman while I was growing up. Uh, it was a very, very competitive school, which was really good for me. Um, I was in only New York, though, until about 25 years old. And then I made my way out to California. I started getting into weight training, though, around 14, I would say. Mm -hmm. And because of the sports I was in, it was, it was taken pretty seriously. So I would say I was weight training at a, a high level at age 14 already. I was taking it pretty seriously. And uh, I continued weight training all the way through school. Um, and around 19, 20 years old, uh, everybody kept asking if I was into bodybuilding. At the time, I wasn't. And it was something I really wasn't interested in. But uh, everybody kept asking because of the size and how much muscle I had. So eventually, I became a little bit curious about it. And I started competing around 20. <clears throat> and uh, it went really well. I became a natural professional bodybuilder by the age of 21. And I was doing well in the natural circuit. And then around age 25, I decided to move to California because I wanted to compete against the best in the world at the time. And mm -hmm. that was out in California. So I made the move to Venice. And I competed for about another five years and did well in the circuit. But then I came to the conclusion that it just wasn't very healthy. It wasn't something I wanted to pursue with the drug protocol and just the the food intake itself. And and uh, and in many ways, it just deprived me from actually experiencing so many other things. Mm -hmm. so I, I really lost interest in it after those five years. And, and then I started focusing on longevity and getting back to, back into my athleticism before mm -hmm. boxing, which is what I really had passion about, um, movement and um, just athleticism in general. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's where I found also my career in personal training at the time. And um, I realized I had a unique gift of uh, what you can call holding space for individuals. I wasn't really training people that we're in the bodybuilding or in the fitness community. I didn't find interest in that. I found it pretty boring training people in the industry. So I found myself gravitating towards people who wanted to train for the love of themselves, um, to take care of themselves, to be healthy for their children and stuff like that. So uh, mm -hmm. that was kind of like my niche um, when I was in Venice. And uh, yeah, you know, over the years, I was always told by many people that um, I just felt safe for them to be around. And so that was something that kept coming up uh, throughout mm. the years of, of personal training. And then as I started doing my own, I guess we can call um, conscious work, uh, a lot of my PT clients saw a, a shift in myself uh, as I was getting into meditation and breath work and plant medicine and stuff like that. And uh, I would obviously share with them what I was experiencing and then they became sure. curious. Yeah. So I started uh, more so doing breath work with my clients than I was actually personally training them. Right. The uh, word got out. Um, I was holding space in this type of way, helping people learn how to meditate, quiet the mind, dissolve the ego, that kind of stuff. So they can actually start doing some uh, wonderful work within themselves. And uh, yeah, that's kind of how it took a turn from PT cool. to... Yeah, to holding space for breath work and into behavioral coaching and then even some guided plant medicine. Awesome. Yeah, I think for sure um, I want to get into um, some of that, especially the uh, the way that you found mm. meditation and the, the process of it. Um, 
But I think before we go there, just before we get too far away from the bodybuilding, Frank, if you want to jump in here, I know that there were some fitness things that you came across in, in Justin's background that, um, that, uh, you had some, some questions about. What was your routine like when you were bodybuilding? Like, how did you get to that point? Like you, what was your workouts in high school? Like where mm -hmm. you got to that point? Like, you know, that's something I can do. Um, you know, what's funny is, is that the beginning stages of weight training, I, I didn't even have a mirror. I didn't even look in a mirror. It wasn't for anything, but uh, to perform well with, with sports. So I didn't even look at a mirror. I think the first five years of lifting weights. So I didn't even know how big I was. I didn't know how strong I was really. Um, someone had to literally point it out, um, about the size I was putting on. And then I finally stepped on a scale and I realized I was a very large person. And as I mentioned, everyone kept asking if I was into bodybuilding. So I, my, my standard training was just at the time, whatever the coaches had me do, which was a lot mm -hmm. of training, a lot of, you know, like power cleans and deadlifts and, and, and benching and stuff like that, along with athletic training. Mm -hmm. uh, and then um, once I found myself more in a bodybuilding community, if, if you would say it was around, around 19 years old, and I found a, a gym that a bodybuilder owned. And um, he saw my potential in bodybuilding and, and he kind of just said, hey, why don't you do your first show on your own? See how you do, see how you like it, and then we'll go from there. And, you know, I started doing more of a bodybuilding split at that point. Sure. Yeah. So did you lose along the way then there um, from 19 to that early 20s when you did start going more bodybuilding? Um, were the like the power cleans and stuff, were they lost? Were they a thing of the past where like the multi-joint and um, that kind of stuff, it just doesn't fit into sculpting the body necessarily as much as it does performance yeah uh yes uh, what was good about what i was doing though is i was still grappling i was still grappling outside of bodybuilding and i was still playing a lot of basketball and a lot of just sports in general like backyard football even in my early 20s but all my friends were very competitive top wrestlers yeah. in the country so we would do summer tournaments still and so as i was bodybuilding i was still very very athletic i was okay I was playing, yeah i was playing high level basketball still at like community colleges and stuff like that it was when i actually moved to california and all the all the uh the bodybuilders in california were just one dimensional yes and uh they got in my ear about you know like if you wanted to really do this and put size on you kind of have to stop doing all those other things and focus on just putting on sheer size which i did which i completely regret um, yeah yeah, I, I could have definitely kept doing all those things and my physique would have looked better, I feel. I would have felt better. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I would have kept all my athleticism, which is, it took quite some time to actually get that back, even though it was only like five or six years of of uh, not being athletic. It really did take a toll. I, I used to just be so incredibly good at basketball and the way I handled it, by the time I touched the ball again, it felt like completely foreign to me. Yeah. Um, so that, that was, was actually one of my next questions was how much... Uh... You felt like you sacrificed. Um, you know, I don't think I felt like I sacrificed. It was it was definitely interesting picking up a ball again or or even getting on a mat again and grappling. Um, there was a part of me I don't think really became even aware of of how much athleticism I lost at the time. Mm -hmm. And it actually took me I was going I went and actually checked out um, this gymnastics spot because I was always into this kind of stuff like just playing. Yes. 
And, uh, you know, I went there and, you know, a part of me still had it. I mean, I learned to backflip the first time I went there and okay. Yeah. So I still had those athleticism, but then I, someone was filming and I yeah. saw how I was running and I looked like I was running in slow motion. Right. And, uh, I was like, this is just awful. <laughs> like, I looked horrible running. Right. I looked slow. I looked big and clunky. And so right then I was like, oh, I'm, I'm done, done, done with this. As soon as I just saw yeah. myself run, it was absolutely wild. My, my, my steps were short. My stride was short and I used to be incredibly fast. So uh, right then it became a, a big priority in getting back my athleticism. I started incorporating uh, more functional training and yoga. Yeah, and that was actually the word that was just on the tip of my tongue. Like the functional training was a thing that even, you know, at, uh, at my age, when I was a kid growing up, you know, and, and we pl I, I played football and lacrosse and kickboxing and everything was athletic. However, the way that I trained was like a bodybuilder. Yeah. I didn't know any better. I, I read muscle and fitness. And so I did tricep extensions and way I've probably benched more like enough to where I, I never need to bench ever yeah, again. Same. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah, um, same. yeah. So do you think then would you say that like, so if you have that athleticism and then you kind of lose a little bit of it because of that style of training or you put on you know, massive uh, amounts of muscle and whatnot. Um, I have certain stiffness that I know I developed over the years, um, but that you, it's still there. Like you just got to kind of uncover it. it again. Yeah. The yoga really helped once I got yeah. into yoga and also just playing sports again. You know, I, I really started trying to just get on the mat again and grapple. This was like nine years ago now. So I just started grappling again. I started okay. getting basketball again and and uh yeah just moving like the gymnastics kind of stuff i have i it's right there it's just it's more so actually taking my time and and getting my muscles flexible again because it's more so prone to injury now that's all yeah. it really was the athleticism for me was a very natural thing and right. so so i just had to realize i couldn't just go in there and and sprint or Right. And go at it. And that took me uh, a few injuries, actually, to really understand because I was never I never got injured in my entire life until I went to go back to be athletic. And I realized that I was limited due to my tight muscles. Sure. And so um, it took a few injuries, actual a few injuries during grappling or playing ball or whatnot. And then I realized, like, oh, man, you got to take your time. You got to elongate your muscles. You got to right. drop some weight. Um, so that was kind of uh, shocking for me because I was never injured before. I was sure. indestructible all the way up until age 29 when I first got injured. So that was really wild for me, right. which also like really got me excited to like kind of keep pursuing where I was going. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Especially knowing that like your body's been to all of these places and now you have all of this information to kind of, um, hypothesize and, and think, um, moving forward, what, what is more beneficial? What is less beneficial, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And to be honest, like if I, if I were to ever go back, I mean, I would never go back and do it, but if I had the knowledge I have now and I did want to do bodybuilding for a short time, I would have kept the athleticism the entire time. I would have been doing yoga the entire time during bodybuilding. I would have. Yeah. Yeah, because I think the physique actually would look 10 times better. I think a lot of times what makes the bodybuilding look a little unattractive is when it gets too tight, when it starts to yes. look 
too big and you can't hit your poses. Yeah. So um, I, I personally would train completely different. Um, yeah. I would eat completely different. I would train completely different. And then even when I was doing the drug protocol from age 25 to 29, I would even do that completely different. So yeah. I would I would approach bodybuilding, even if I was bodybuilding, completely different. I think I would have looked uh, 10 times better. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that um, more uh, symmetrical, um, I, th I think people just realize now like the um, the the dieting down and the ballooned uh, yeah. weight in the off, you know, off competition, et cetera, and all that back and forth, like none of it's good for you. No. And the, the lack of mobility. Um, it's just going to lead to more problems later in life. And then like that Netflix documentary with, is it Ronnie Coleman? Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. And it, you know, when I was a kid, he was a picture that, well, but the picture yeah. of health, at least the idea of what most people would have thought of was like, right. Oh, well, yeah. Like a bodybuilder. Meanwhile, right. like there's in, in certain ways, certain perspectives, if you look at it, there's some of the most unhealthy people, on this planet for sure because of what they're putting their body through and i think um, i think arnold back in the day he never did off season he actually got he got off everything and got small every off season really get back on yeah if you ever look at like how he actually prepped or he would he would barely be even in the gym he'd be enjoying the beach hmm. he'd be smaller he'd be thinner and then he would go into the gym and and then for three or four months he would do his cycle and like start training really hard and put on the size. And then afterwards you'd be chilling again. Yeah. Mm. It's like that new era, which was like this bulking and, and also just staying on drugs all year <laughs> round was absolutely bananas. That was one of the things that really got me away from it. It was just the drug protocol. I never, I, took the, I never took the heavy doses. Like a lot of those guys were doing, they were yeah. taking extreme doses. It was just beyond me. And, yeah. um, and I still wasn't big enough. So it was one of those things where it was like, yeah, I don't want to play this game. Right. Yeah. I don't, I don't blame you there. I mean, some of the, some of the proportions, um, that would step on stage, you know, guys backs, guys, ass cheeks, Yeah, you know, you'd look at an ass cheek and it was like, how is that yeah. human? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's pretty wild. And yeah. it's even more crazy. Cause they're all like five, six, <laughs> you know, and it's just like bananas. So I, I, you know, for me, I just, it was an easy decision. Actually, I was excited to no longer do it. And I was excited to also train. training was boring. Training yeah. was extremely boring. Like doing the same fucking shit every day and benching and then doing this. It's just, it got really old. My attention span was, was I'm definitely sure. more. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I was really glad when I exited. Did you ever venture into any, uh, any sort of CrossFit realms? Um, no, only because I just didn't have the experience in Olympic lifting. And yeah. I'm very aware that, if I wanted to, because at the time I still liked being competitive, and sure. I was aware, I was aware if I wanted to be a competitive, I would really have to put in some decent time to really understand the form with uh, with powerlifting and Olympic yeah. lifting. And um, you know, I just I just didn't have that that um, eagerness or drive to gotcha. do it. And gotcha. at the time, I, it was like just something that, uh, yeah, I just really wasn't interested. I, I respect CrossFit like no other. I mean, with those guys, sure. they train is absolutely unbelievable. But um, yeah, I think I was also just done with this idea of consistent training and just focusing on the world being around me. That's what, yeah. what bodybuilding was. Like everything was around my eating schedule. Everything was around my training schedule, my sleep schedule. 
Um, it's a very selfish sport. And I feel like CrossFit is probably the same thing, especially at a high level. You really, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I did, uh, I did CrossFit for a few years and, and I really enjoyed it. Um, I, I did not compete in the games per se. Um, but, uh, I, it, it is something that from having experienced, it sounds to me like you would probably have enjoyed certain aspects of it quite a bit. Um, it could have potentially led you down that same road though, depending on how successful you got as to like, okay, uh, there's more, there's more. Um, and I, I know that feeling too. Um, but it does seem as though, obviously not the bodybuilder proportions. And I know there's no real strict drug protocol within CrossFit either. Um, you know, so guys are doing whatever they're doing and girls. Um, but it seems like they've at least slid the uh, balance a little bit more towards function while yeah. still looking, you know, some of these guys, like, I mean, they look like they could step on a, 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 a stage and compete um, just pure aesthetic, yeah. but yet they can do muscle ups and climb a rope and carry a very impressive you know, dead body or whatever they do. I, I actually had the pleasure to uh, go to the CrossFit games this year is right behind my house right here in Round Rock. Oh, that's it's awesome. It's Dell Diamond. One of my friends wanted to go. So we got tickets. We went mostly to check out the strongmen. But it was a, it was nice to see um, the CrossFitters and stuff like that. They're incredible. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I just the the amount of dedication to train as hard as you can every single day, and also just unorthodox training because you never really know what uh, you're going to be doing in that's the part of the yeah. yeah so which I think I would the... be more be more inclined at. I like I like the surprise kind of stuff, and I'm I'm pretty good at doing most things so that would be a fun aspect of it but yeah ah, it's, it's just a wild sport it is it really is uh it really is so uh frank was there anything else that you were thinking um fitness wise i, I was actually curious uh calories what's like 8, the 000. highest eight thousand? yeah yeah it was at one point Holy at shit. one point, how much did you weigh i weighed 298 Oh my God. So I, I decided to play the big, big card for one year. I remember because everybody kept saying, I mean, I competed on stage pretty big. I was right around 256 on stage. Dieted down. Yeah, dieted so down. So body fat percentage is where at that point, at that weight? Probably around five or six, I would say. Holy yeah. shit. Um, wow. and then I decided to do one year where I was like, all right, let's try to do like this massive calorie gain and this huge mm-hmm. bulk. And it was probably the worst decision that I ever did. Cause it really did just mess up my gut. Um, yeah. it made my waist big. Um, I was ugly as fuck. It was just it was absolutely <laughs> wild how ugly I was. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And, and uh, just so unhealthy. And, and to be honest, like, I, I didn't really improve. Right. <laughs> the entire, yeah, my body, I think, was so incredibly stressed. And at that time, it was like this, just this um, bro science bullshit where, you know, you're eating before bed. They told telling you to wake up and eat in the middle of the night, which is, oh, such, which is oh such my God. crap. <laughs> I yeah, same shit. yeah it's, it's just absolutely awful i mean i would yeah. even if i were to bodybuild now i would eat substantially less i would have better quality food yeah um i probably would still fast in the morning if i was going to compete again uh, i would just do it completely different i just really think that the approach 
are productive. I, I don't think people understand that you grow when you're resting. And I think yeah. eating proper food, especially like regenerative farm food, organic food, and yeah. stuff like that. I think a lot of us back then and even now, it's just that we're just eating such, such uh, low quality food, uh, yeah. low energy food, uh, yeah. all the above. And so, and uh, yeah, so it's just, it's just a completely different approach. I, I did one more show like two or three years after I was done and it was the uh, Perigno. And that one I approached completely different. And that one I looked my best in. I, I barely... Really? Yeah, I barely even ate food. It was amazing. I came in one of my biggest and strongest and most shredded. And that was an easy show. It was a walk in the park. And yeah, it's just, it was funny. It was like, I, I took a, fr I think I was just taking TRT and a little bit of Winstraw at the time. Mm -hmm. And that was it compared to like what everybody else was taking. Right. That's interesting that that's the one where you feel like, you know, you, you look Less your stress. best. Yeah. And, and, and yet all the other time you were doing what you, you know, you were following protocol, you were working hard at this thing, sacrificing and doing the things that you thought you were supposed to do. It's just that in hindsight, those things that you were doing, you're like, no, they probably weren't the best thing. Yeah, just really poor guidance. And all these, yeah. like a lot of bro science in California, when I moved to California, like I remember I mean, I was doing a normal intake of protein where I was having maybe 30 or 40 grams after a meal before I moved out there. And I remember the first thing I heard is like, oh, you got to take in 75 to 100 grams after every meal. And oh my then, God. one of the first people I met was Rich Pinata. So that was hilarious. You know, <laughs> like, you know, like the, the freak of all freaks. And I remember I even asked him, it's just ironic because he has passed, but I remember I asked them, I because I never seen calves like his. I mean, later on I realized they were they were fake calves. Oh God! But uh, I remember asking, I'm like, man, like, how do you even get your calves like that? I was such a 25, just newbie. I was like, yeah, wow, right behind the ears. Yeah, he literally said, he's like, oh man, the shit that I've done, I should be dead. That's what he said. Right. right. Which is yeah, which is really wild. And yeah. Uh, so yeah, man, it was. I mean, L.A. was probably as far as like knowledge goes with bodybuilding, the worst place to go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Hey, do you find people go to the gym because, because they have to, not because they want to? You know, I think a lot of people, the reason why they do most things is to be good enough um, to be accepted by the community that they're in. I think most people, the reason why they train is to, is to be enough and it comes from a place of fear and lack and uh, that's why i think most people go to the gym i think that's why most people are successful in their business i think that's why most people even eat healthy i think mostly what people do and the reason with the, why they do it is um is to hopefully be enough so they can connect with people mm -hmm. so i think um that's that's why i think the gym feels a little off and there's a lot of ego there because ego is fear so I think that's what is driving most people. Um, and uh, they're just simply unaware of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I feel like, um, you know, the last few years, uh, awareness is one of those words that for me, um, obviously, I've always known what it is. I could give you the definition, you know, I mean, I did pay some attention in school. and um, But <laughs> awareness as it applies to the person mm. um any of those things can change over time and like 
what I view as awareness now is just totally different from what it was even a year ago. Um, I'll say it continues to change. Yeah. Uh, because of some of the work that I do now um, and I'm willing to do that, like I was just ignorant to most of my life. I think we all were, you know, I think a lot of times that most of the time we're completely unconscious, right? And what we're talking, like awareness is always something that is kind of sh shaping and shifting because we do become more aware of things. But like the, I guess you can get into like the definition of self-awareness. What is self-awareness, right? And there's like one hardcore definition of self-awareness. And my personal definition is um, understanding that you're not the human thinking mind, that you're not the person, right? And that's kind of a wild concept for people because most people identify as the, as the person, mm -hmm. as their mind, as their thoughts, their emotions. And so 100%. my definition of enlightenment is understanding that you're not the person and that's true self-awareness. So if you're not the person, what are you? Hmm. That now, okay. You're, you're a soul is what Good you answer. are. You're a soul yeah. living inside of this human body. Yeah. Sharing the experience. Yep. Yeah. And, and so, and that's why I think most people um, suffer because they identify with the person, the human, the human mind, and this human mind is deeply conditioned through fear and lack. So if you have, if so, if you have this identify, if you identify with this person, it has limitations, it has conditioning, um, it has um, stories and beliefs that simply aren't true, that limit it in all the different ways. And so as you become more conscious, you become more aware that you are more um, and then you can help guide this person with all of these limited beliefs and conditioning to also face through, through things like meditation and breath work. Mm -hmm. So now at this point, Justin, would you say, um, the breath work, cause I, I've, you know, did, did some backgrounds, uh, and some researching. And then I actually listened to the podcast again, um, from, uh, the power project and looked up some other things like uh so the breath work is one of the things that you do most of at this point correct so what the breath work is is that it's a tool to create space or quiet one's thoughts right so you can either create space from your thoughts or quiet your thoughts through a tool or a modality like the breath you could do it also with with anything really like the cold or the heat or yep. even yoga, right? Essentially what we're talking about creating presence. So how can we create presence for the mind? Cause right now most people suffer because the mind is consistently running. Mm -hmm. um, it never stops. And, and most of it's intrusive thoughts and fear-based thoughts and lack thoughts. And so most people are living in their thought movie all day long consciousness is being pulled into the thought movie all day long and uh, the person suffers and so breath work is a wonderful tool to create this space from the thoughts or even quiet the thoughts um, it does a, a few different i think it's the best thing out of all the tools or techniques because mm -hmm. moving tremendous amounts of energy around with with the breath so you're removing a lot of excess energy that's stored within your body and mind and um, and then also you're giving your your person, your mind, something to focus on, like the breath. 
And so it's almost like giving it a task, right? Because it has to have mm-hmm. on it. So it's becoming more and more present. And so mm-hmm. the combination of moving and releasing energy with this, with this task of the breath, focusing on the breath, you can create this level of presence for your person, AKA consciousness. Presence is consciousness, right? So then you, what you're doing is that you're giving your person an opportunity to uh, essentially receive a download from consciousness. Mm-hmm. So whenever you become present, it's essentially like you're opening up a portal, if you will, for an original thought or consciousness to flow through. And most people don't have an original thought or consciousness to flow through because their mind is completely going a million miles an hour. So you can use the breath to quiet it down. And what will come through from consciousness is a thought or a suggestion or an epiphany or a download on Mm -hmm. how to be more mindful, how to be more love, how to heal, how to accept, how to forgive and whatever situation that you're personally working through. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Um, I, you know, um, presence is, is another word along with awareness that I feel like has taken on a whole different meaning in my life personally. Um, so when you talk about the, the presence that you're achieving through, um, the breath work or some of these methods, um, I know like, so Joe Dispenza, when I was reading that book, that was the first time I, I, I gave like an honest, earnest effort at meditation. Mm, Um, and I had gotten, uh, at that time, things were different in, in my life. I was, uh, my, my wife, my now wife, um, we had split up, uh, and, uh, I was, it was just me and work and, you know, eventually a dog. So like I had, I threw myself, I I was going through a, a pretty rough experience at the time. So I threw myself into the Joe Dispenza books and that work became like my every day. Mm. And so some of these downloads and whatnot that you talk about, and this is also why so much of that interview caught my attention um, and why I reached out was uh, because a lot of those things that I would have been too woo woo for me at one point, um, I was telling other people about them because I had experienced them on a low level where like, you know, and I'm checkered enough past that I've experienced some drug use and stuff. And there were things that happened on psychedelics that some of these meditations, I feel like I scratched a little bit of something similar and was like, wait, no fucking way. Yeah. That, That can't be. And then the more I did it, I'm not, I didn't get to a point where I could, could produce it or manufacture it, but it would happen on a fairly regular basis to where I was like, I can't deny this. There's something. Um, And the more I read Joe's uh, work and I, um, I at the time started to kind of find my uh, religious faith journey. I was, I was raised Catholic. Um, so I was very turned off to religion for, for a long, long time. Yeah. And then, um, I found Christianity when I I live in Florida now. And when I moved to Florida, um, and then I was going through this rough patch, I, I went to a service and that kind of started my journey. 
And it, it happened around a similar time that I'm reading the Dispenza stuff. And I always, it always stuck out to me that Joe never really talked much about religion. But when he would talk about the quantum field and that inner, and then I started to read the Bible around the same time. Mm. And they would talk about the Holy Spirit. And I was mm. like, wow, just saw a lot of crossover. Yeah, correlation for sure. Yeah. And I'm thinking these things are similar. Mm. And then as time went on, the, the more I got into both separately, the more I started to form the opinion of they're not similar. They're the fucking same thing. Yeah. yeah. Joe doesn't attach religion to it because religion can be so divisive. Yeah. Religion is dogmatic in many ways, right? Mm -hmm. Most religion is pretty dogmatic. And yeah, prayer is meditation. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Prayer is meditation. And I, I think, um, you know, that's what made uh, Jesus so so threatening to the religions is because he was saying, you do not have to go through the religion to have a direct connection. Mm -hmm. And so that's why um, he wasn't liked by the right. establishment. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. So like he was able to connect sourcely, connect source directly. And, and we all are able to through, through meditation or through prayer, through right. Stillness, because yeah, I like uh, you know I like to make clear that you know like so you have the universe and presence and consciousness, God, loving awareness. It's all symbiotic. It's all the same, right? I'm glad to hear you say that. Yeah, it's I really, all because yeah. I, I like it. Not that it, I needed it to be confirmed, but like I remember listening to the podcast. And thinking like, okay, this guy comes from a pretty athletic background and I'm a bit of a meathead most of my life too. But I, we happened upon the same stuff. And then I came to these conclusions and I was just like, hmm, I wonder if his um, thoughts on it would be similar. And, and they seem to be. So yeah, I would say, uh, say the biggest difference is like the universe, I guess you can call it, God, but God's such a funny word because people have a different um, thought on that word when they hear it. So like most people see it as like powerful or egoic, even if you say I am yeah. God, right? Or God is within me. It's more so about um, divinity and perfection and perfect, um, infinite. And uh, we're all we're all connected to that. If we know how to connect to that, mm -hmm. remember that we are. And so I think um, that's the big difference. I think with within the dogmatic religions is based on judgment. Most most religions have this judgment, and uh, the universe doesn't judge. Right. There's a big difference there. The universe doesn't judge. The news. The universe is just experiencing itself mm -hmm. like my definition of enlightenment is um the universe is experiencing itself through you through me through trees through rocks through different levels of awareness all at once all the time wow yeah even through this space right here where there's no matter even the blackness that's in outer space the sun it's just different levels of awareness, consciousness, mm -hmm. 
thing. Everything is interconnected. There's nothing solid. Everything is moving. Like your countertop isn't solid. The rocks aren't solid mm -hmm. atoms, right? And so everything is moving. Everything is connected. And so if you get still enough, you can connect to everything, the oneness that is the universe. That is, yeah. the, that is infinite. And so that to me is God. That to me is the universe. And we are a part of that. And we can become one with that through extreme levels of stillness, presence. And you can tap, you can tap into the knowledge of it. It's infinite. It's, that's why you have some people that go back in past lives. It's because we are all one. I am you, you are me. So if you become still, you can even have a memory of something else. Right. Mm -hmm. That might not even necessarily be your memory. Well, it's yours, but not yours. Right. Because we are one, right? It's, it's right. Like, it's all one collective, but we're all experiencing it separately, but it's still one. Huh? Yeah. Wow. Well, it would be your memory, but it would be from a, a, past, a past experience. Yeah, past life. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, boys, please jump in here. Uh, it, if you've it, got anything that's kind of um, in in the process of the conversation, anything that's that's uh, jumped out at you, please. Well, it's crazy when I was listening to the other podcast as well and listening to Justin talk about his presence and his grounding, um, being able to working on healing himself through basically meditation. Um, there's so many, I actually am part of a podcast as well that does, it's a psychic podcast and we kind of delve into everything from paranormal to self-awareness, self-healing, stuff like that. And then I heard you talking about a shaman, which I know a few of, <clears throat> and basically what you, I would say with the healing that you do, would you consider it Reiki? Yeah, I guess you can call it a form of Reiki. Um, yes, you know, but essentially it's about just, it's just understanding that you have the power within you to heal your body. So and there's another term you could use, you can call like the universe, your subconscious, mm -hmm. right? So you can have the awareness that the universe or your subconscious is kind of like, um, kind of like a, a, a genie right? It, 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 whatever you think and whatever you say will create. Okay. Okay. So like if you think intrusive thoughts, bad thoughts, um, mm. the universe doesn't favor good or bad. Your subconscious, AKA the universe doesn't favor good or bad. It takes you at your word. It takes you at your thought and what you say. And so once you understand that you can wield this energy, wield this divine infinite power, um, you start paying attention to where you put your put your attention, your energy, mm -hmm. your thoughts, and the things that you say. So I can, I can be very aware that the universe is always listening, that my subconscious is always listening. And if I have something say wrong with my body, I can speak this. Um, for instance, if I'm injured, I'm like, I, you know, I, I call upon the universe to heal my body. I gain its infinite power to keep me whole, to regenerate my cells, right? And I say these things and like repetitively say over and over, and then I do it again the next day and do it again the next day that uh, eventually the universe um, will heal me. 
And it really depends, the, the speed of this really depends on your belief and or faith in the universe. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. the more you believe, the faster the manifestation, the, the less you believe, the longer. Um, that's why they always say too, is like never end anything with a negative saying, always correct it. Because right. if it's something negative that goes out into the universe and the universe will create that. Yes. Yeah, so it's, it's really fascinating to... It understand this and, and start using it in these real beautiful ways, you know, and create a beautiful life for yourself. Um, and you and you really completely live in a, a, a different reality. Mm -hmm. I, I know, like going through the the Joe Dispenza stuff, like I, I had, I was kind of having these epiphanies, but like my skepticism. And again, that's just your lack of faith. And it the, the skepticism it was so hard in the beginning mm. to quiet it. Well, the, um, the, sorry to cut you off, but the mind doesn't understand the universe. It can't. It, it's not intelligent enough. So if the mind is what has the skepticism, not you. Right? So you are not. Wow. So the, right. The mind has these limited beliefs, not you. Your consciousness. You, you're the universe. You're not the mind. So if you identify with the mind, you'll identify with these skepticism, these thoughts, mm. lack of beliefs. And so at first, when anybody gets into this work, it's incredibly hard because one, they identify with the mind. So then they identify with their limited beliefs. And also the mind only has its five senses that go by reality. It only knows its reality by its five senses. So mm. anything outside of that five sense reality, it seems ridiculous to it. It can't comprehend it. That's what I would call woo-woo. Yes. In the day. Exactly. Anything outside of my five senses. If I can't smell it, eat it, touch it, blah, exactly. blah, blah. I was like, mm, not for me. And that's why meditation is so powerful, because every time you meditate, you peek under the veil that is consciousness. And then your person, the mind, gets a glimpse into this magic. It, it, mm. And it's like, whoa, what is that? And then you meditate again. You're like, whoa, what the fuck is that? And then it starts to actually see what it's a part of. It understands that it is a part of the universe, that it is the universe. Yeah. And, and then it starts raising its consciousness through the work. It also starts uh, elevating in vibration and frequency through the work. And then eventually it sees like, oh, my goodness, I can actually do these things. Right. I'm capable of these things. I'm limitless. Right. Completely limitless. I can heal my body. I can rejuvenate. I can manifest. I can create. Um, all of these things through your thoughts and through your words, especially right. when, when you make it powerfully like intentful. Like I sure. have, I have certain things that I read every day that brings abundance into my life. And it just, it works like magic. It, it, that's how I make a living is meditating and talking directly to the universe or my subconscious to create for me. And it just happens. Wow. That's, I mean, especially having, you know, like the dots I'm able to connect with this, like it makes so much sense to me now why Joe Dispenza started, um, I don't remember which book it was, but the, the one that he starts talking about his um, uh, neck and back injury and how when he goes, because that was the first one that I, I read and and I'm reading that and my skepticism was just on fire. Mm -hmm. But for some reason I kept reading and then, uh, you know, so to, to hear some of what you're saying now, it just makes total sense to me as to like what that process was even for me. Like, yeah. I, 
he he started with that for a reason and i had a hard time believing it and it, it wasn't until like on a couple of the meditations because there were like hour and a half long meditations that i was eventually doing you know while reading his book um but it wasn't until like those i don't know those those experiences happened that i started to go I started to confront the skepticism a little bit more and I I wasn't willing to, and now obviously sitting here today, like I have way less or way more control of my skepticism and way less of it uh, by virtue of, of the control. Like it's just, there's things. So with meditation, like I, I, I think it's one of those things that like you can explain to people over and over and over, but until they do it. Yeah. Until they actually do it, they can't, they can't, I mean, even at some point they like can maybe conceptualize it, but they don't have the wisdom. Right. And, and people don't really integrate it very much. I'm just plugging in my phone real quick. Um, Yeah. They don't really integrate it. Um, And it takes time for, for, I think it just, a lot of times we just been, you know, told this one story. It's, it's essentially what also Jesus was doing. Jesus was healing the blind and curing lepers and stuff like that. So, you know, he was using the power of the universe to heal people. Mm-hmm. And so it's the same concept. And, you know, and I, I, I do the same thing. If I feel like my body's starting to maybe even get sick, which it never does, or I hurt myself in the gym. Mm-hmm. And if I just set my attention on that, I heal tremendously faster right way, way way faster yeah and i've i've had other friends and uh, like um i forget his name andrew he's the tech guy for mark bell's podcast okay yeah yeah did you like i shared his information like he's had i think like real severe back problems and he started meditating and he was able to heal all of his back problems that he's been suffering with this entire time like he, wow. he literal angels come down and like back yeah it was it was really fascinating stuff and i mean i think a lot of this stuff really does happen and uh, you should check out the book um the power of your subconscious okay yeah it's a really good book and it gets into again the subconscious aka your your the universe and it really gets into speaking directly to it being mindful with your words and your thoughts and you really start creating your own reality and 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 um living longer you know it's it's wild too i think once we really start being in the present moment we really do live longer too yeah Um, i saw this really cool i mean because we all perceive time differently um based on how active our brains are and animals perceive time differently as well so like like a fly sees things in slow motion um a dog sees things and not as slow as a fly but slower than we do and then Uh what's really neat is a turtle um when it's on land sees things uh, time time is slower for the turtle actually things are flying by the turtle time uh, things are moving past it but the turtle's time itself is is slowed down Mm -hmm. because it's more present but when it goes into the water it it, it's its life speeds up And so it's based on how active your brain is. So imagine if you can live in a state of presence all right. the time, how much longer you may live as opposed wow. to like an anxious, anxious mind that's consistently in worry or, or just go, 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 or, you know, it's so I, it's, it's a while because you never eat mushrooms. Doesn't it last forever? 
Mm -hmm. Like the day lasted a whole week. Yeah. 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 I'm standing still. Yeah. That's, um, I realized with some of my awareness was the fact that how often I lived in the future or in the past and how little I was present. Mm -hmm. And that's when my whole definition of the word, you know, presence or being present, um, just changed and and the understanding of it is it's not what it was a a couple years ago it's totally different in my opinion yeah it's Um, to be the beingness it's to be absolutely um present without thought without judgment without evaluation mm -hmm. right to simply be and it's really hard for humans to not think and to not get pulled into their thought movement because we're such a judging um species Mm-hmm. Now we are. Um, but yeah, that's what's wild. It's like we spend so much time judging and evaluating and analyzing and we create a story about everything. And mm-hmm. it's hard for us to just kind of be in the be, be and without a thought. And there's some really cool practices you could do, like try to find something that you don't know how that you don't have much knowledge on and, and, and watch it. For me, I've noticed like I don't know shit about birds. So like if I'm like outside and I see a giant, what I could think is a hawk or, or something like that flying around, I can watch that hawk without a thought because I know nothing about hawks. I don't know. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know anything about it. So I can actually watch this hawk for, for as long as I want without a single thought. And that's kind of interesting. So you can train yourself in in unique ways. Nature does a really good job of that. If you don't know too much about nature, you can, fall into that space and also because um there's nothing being projected onto you nature doesn't judge you or analyze you so it doesn't it doesn't project onto you because humans are usually analyzing and judging other humans so you feel that projection Mm -hmm. uh, that judgment and then you reciprocate you know you put it back and that's why that's why everybody feels so weird in the gym too by the way because everybody's just judging others judging self and that's that feeling that you feel when you walk in there right Uh, but yeah, it's like if you can get really good at just not having a thought, which is hard, but you can train the brain to not do that through meditation, through the breath, through the cold, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. through stillness. And then eventually you are just a, a naturally more present person in everything that you do. You're you're present when you're eating your food. You're actually tasting it. You're present when you're having your coffee. You're actually tasting it. Or yeah. when you're, you're going to the bathroom. Most people are on their phone when they're eating, when they're phone when they're going to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. They're they're really never present. They're on their phone when they're walking from one room to the next. And so most people are just completely addicted to stimulation and um, instant gratification. Yep. And um, presence is not even a a concept. Right. Right. You're just, um, I I thought it was your quote. um, And it was probably on the the power project podcast, but was, um, you're just feeding the avatar. Yeah. <coughs> yeah. You know, is like, I, think, I think, like I said, I think the reason why most people have a tough time stepping out of these poor behaviors and really start making powerful changes in their life is because they can't grasp enlightenment. And that's the identifying with the person. If you can really step outside, and I like to use the term my person. Every time I talk about my person, I say that term, my person. Like, oh, my person is hungry, or my person is anxious, or my person is upset. 
because I am not the person. Right. You can start creating the space um, from the, or my thoughts because you are not your thoughts. And that's why I think I've, a lot of people have a tough time with, with the understanding of like, what do you mean watch your thoughts? How do you watch your thoughts and how do you watch your emotions? Well, first is understanding that you're not your thoughts and you're not your emotions, that you're not your mind. And so if you're not your thoughts, your mind or emotions, whose are they? Well, they're your persons, your avatars, mm-hmm. your beings. And mm-hmm. so right then you can create a little bit of space from the person, mm-hmm. start watching it from, from the conscious lens. Um, so are you, you're, I, I just want to make sure I'm, I'm following correctly here. So if I'm not those thoughts, but those thoughts are a byproduct of the person's life experiences. Yes. Um, his track record is what has kind of cultivated these thoughts. And yep. now I'm running through them. And when I'm not being present, I might be running through, you know, one that hasn't happened yet in the future. Yes. And I might be ruminating on one that happened yesterday that I regret. Yes. And so that was kind of the light bulb moment for me um, a year or a couple of years ago when I started to kind of put these things together was like this thing that I always considered like, oh, that's just the way I am. That's my personality. I was never present. I yeah. was always on to the next thing. It's how I was successful in athletics as a, as a kid. You know, everything revolved around football season and the next game and the next this and the next that. And then pro wrestling became the same thing. The way yeah. that I, you know, I was, had my, my children at the time and I'd be home with, with um, two of my daughters and, you know, they were getting off the bus from school and blah, blah, blah. But then here I am thinking about the wrestling match that I have the following week in Japan and what I'm going to do and blah, blah, blah. And I, I see it now that behavior for the mistake that it was, yeah. but you know, yet the those, collective- yeah, but yet those things are also what kind of provided me some of the, um, we'll call success in my life or my career. So it's like you get tethered to them and you learn to trust those processes as like, oh well, that's what made me successful. So it's no, I don't want to abandon them, but it also you know there's good and bad that come with it. Yeah, you don't have to abandon them. You just don't identify. Is a difference, right? Like you can still experience being a pro wrestler, but it's not who you are, mm. right? And mm-hmm. and so and that there that that allows you to then be aware that you're that that's not who you are, and then you're not living there all the time. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. Like everybody identifies like at when like when they were bodybuilding. Like I'm a bodybuilder. Like no, you're experiencing being a bodybuilder at this moment, mm-hmm. but you're not a bodybuilder. You're your consciousness, right? If you if you forget and, pl- and believe you're the role, then now you're unconscious and you're at exposure to all of its conditioning and limitations and all that kind of stuff. And that's the collective. I think a lot of us are, are deeply, deeply unconscious and most people are deeply, deeply unconscious and we identify with all of our experiences and all of our roles. And that's why we also suffer. Um, because once that identi- identifying with that where the role ends, then what are you? Mm-hmm. And, and and that's where a lot of people end up. It's like, oh, once their football career is up, now what? 
and they're going to grab something. The ego is the ego that grabs something else. Yeah. To grab onto something else and grab onto something else to find purpose. But everybody has the same purpose. Purpose isn't what you do. Purpose is enlightenment, actually. Purpose is understanding that you are consciousness because that's what you're really searching for is connection, which is presence, which is stillness. Mm -hmm. So that's everybody's purpose. That's what's driving you to be the wrestler. That's what's driving you to work out. It again goes into like, am I enough now to connect, to be successful, to connect? Mm -hmm. And so that's the, that's the, uh, the illusion is that you're, you are already connected. It's just the, you just don't realize it. And mm -hmm. there's, yeah, it's, it's really wild. Um, and that's what everybody's kind of chasing. That's why they become the doctor. Like once they become the doctor, like, am I enough now? Can I connect? Can I right. now, connect? now successful, um, you know, for society's terms, right? I got, hot, I got the hot body now. Am I enough now? Can I connect now? Am I successful now? Um, and that's all ego, Justin? Well, yeah, because it's fear that's driving it and fear is ego. Right. Like most people, the reason why they do well in school is because they want to be enough. So it's fear. It comes from lack. It's not it's not because they enjoy school and they actually love doing school and like they don't care what people think. It's it's to show people that, hey, I'm smart. Can I can I be accepted now? That's right. why I said like he asked the other day, like, why do you think most people go to the gym? And it's not for health. It's, it's not for longevity. It's not for challenging and being present with their person. It's, it's to look good enough, to be enough, to be accepted so that they can actually connect. So it's, right. built, on, it's built on fear. That's, wow. why, that's, why, that's why most people, when they accomplish all of their goals, they're still unhappy because they've been yeah. externally as, as opposed to internally. Because mm -hmm. they've, always, they've always been enough. They just, they just don't realize it. So they everything that they're doing is, is to be worthy. Mm -hmm. I, and I know many people like that. I know people that became doctors and, 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 and what drove them to go through school and to become a doctor was this fear of, uh, am I smart enough now? And it's the reason why they got a good looking body. It's the reason why they get in relationships. It's even the reason why they have kids. Mm -hmm. Most people's lives, their whole foundation is built on this fear and building a foundation like that on fear is very fragile. Sure opposed to doing everything out of love and presence so it's um yeah it's fascinating that's where most people operate from and that's because they are unconscious mm -hmm. and identify as the person sure and, the, sure. and the, the reason why this is so tough for so many people if you identify with the person you will accidentally also identify with the ego right so children children are born babies are born without ego Babies only know how to receive love and give love. So at some point, the brain of the baby creates and manifests the ego to protect itself in this cruel environment that's not loving it and not protecting it. And so if you identify with your mind, you will also ident identify with the manifested ego that's driven from fear and lack. And, and that's where most people are, are, are operating from is their ego because they mm -hmm. identify with their mind and the mind doesn't know it created the ego. The mind thinks whenever the ego says something, the mind thinks it's its thoughts. It thinks it's its voice. You, mm -hmm. ever, seen, you ever seen the cartoon where it has the angel and the devil and the person? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah. What, that's what it is. The angel is consciousness, the universe, God, the person is the person and the devil is the ego. 
and so and so when when there's two voices you know how in the cartoon there's always like these two voices here well the person doesn't know what love is and feels it's unworthy which is consciousness so it doesn't even listen to that because it's like i'm not even worthy because it's been told it's unworthy by society right and then it, it, it created this so it thinks it's this thoughts and then the ego chimes in it's like yeah you're unworthy yeah do it tomorrow right. yeah you know and so it listens wow. to it over and, over and over again and what's neat is every time you become still aka conscious the ego dissolves it leaves it can't exist in the light right and and the person wow. is terrified to, to, to because it does truly feel unworthy because it's been told the story and and the reason why you have this really gnarly resistance even is because the ego dies in the light so that's why people feel like they're dying in meditation or when they feel like they're dying in mushrooms or ayahuasca or dmt because the yeah. ego dying and they identify with the person so therefore the ego right right yeah. I mean, when you think about just the concept of why is it hard for people to sit still um, that, you know, to look at it in that way makes sense. And, you know, I know early on, like the, the meditations, um, I don't do the lengthy meditations anymore, but I, I do, um, you know, 10 or 20 minute ones now. And sometimes they're throughout the day. Um, if I've got time to get in three or four, I, I will. Um, and they're nowhere near the, uh, difficulty they were in the beginning, as far as just being able to one, I, I don't want to say drop in because I don't want people to get the wrong impression. Like, you know, you, you have this like trippy sort of whatever you drop in. No, it's, for me, one of the biggest things was accepting the fact that like not every meditation is going to be an experience. Yeah. Most of the time it's just nothingness. Yeah. And that's, that's actually the sweet spot because then when there's nothingness, you're completely still, you're completely present. And then there's a moment where possibly an original thought or a download can come through mm -hmm. of intelligence of, of divine intelligence, even. Mm -hmm. which which is really cool you know and then if it doesn't even come through during the meditation it can come through a few hours later if you're quiet enough right a lot of people though is like they i think i think a lot of times they don't integrate or make behavioral changes when they start meditating they kind of still go about their day normally they still like are on their phones a lot they're not making powerful behavioral changes maybe when it comes to their food or the music they listen to or the people they hang out with Right. Like they still kind of are in the same paradigm and the same yeah. reality. So when you start meditating, it's it's really an opportunity to understand you're quieting your mind so you can zoom out, so to speak, become the watcher, the consciousness, the witness. Yeah. And so when you zoom out, um, you'll have a better chance of catching your person during the day when they go to simply react. You'd be like, wait a second, like, hey, let's try this instead. And you might not catch it the first time, but you might catch it like two minutes in. And you're like, oh, right. I didn't want to do that. I, I didn't even want to do that. And then you'll catch it. And then you might catch it faster next time. And then before you know it, it's no longer a behavior. You got rid right. of that behavior. Right. And so integration is really important. I, I don't know if, but I also don't think a lot of people understand why they're meditating still. And so that's why, like, I think um, talking about enlightenment and, and like really going over is 
part of my work with the behavioral coaching and the meditation. It's, it's really trying to get them to conceptualize enlightenment so that when they meditate, they know that they're creating stillness or space for their person to have original thoughts or heal or whatnot, whatever that person is personally working through. Yeah. Um, I use the anal I use this really cool analogy. Like you are the dog rescuer and you're also the dog in the dog pound. So the dog rescuer is consciousness and the dog in the dog pound is the human. And this dog in the dog pound, AKA the human, the human mind, thoughts, and emotions have been um, conditioned through fear and has really traumatic experiences. It's an abused dog, right? And the dog pound, sure. right? And yeah. so here comes, here comes the dog rescuer, AKA consciousness. And when that, when the dog rescuer consciousness opens up the kennel, that dog doesn't even know how to accept it. It backs itself into a kennel. It may right. even bite the dog rescuer. Right. Right. It doesn't know. It's terrified. It, it has all these fears. And you bring that dog home and it pees on the carpet. It chews on the fucking chair. It pulls on the leash. Yeah. And what you need to do, you need to feed it healthy food, give it a warm bed to sleep in, take it on long walks. You got to discipline it. You got to right. give it structure. You got to give it love. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's what this is when you meditate. And that's what you have to do outside of your meditation is take this this person, this, this sentient being who's been through the ringer, who's been abused, who has traumatic events, who's been told all these false stories, who has limitations, you got to retrain it from, from consciousness. And so that's what's happening when we do this work. You're, you're both roles, your consciousness and the person. But at some point, you'll start operating from this seat. You'll start being in this seat more and you'll start raising because here's consciousness and here's the person's level of consciousness is down here. Every time you meditate, it will rise. Right. It'll rise. It'll rise. It'll keep rising. And eventually it'll join loving awareness. It'll understand what it is and what it's a part of and what it can do and how. It yeah. Can yeah. And it, it removes all of its fears. It understands mm -hmm. this. It just takes time for the monkey to, to figure it out. He, he it doesn't know. Right. And right. That's the, and that's really wild, you know, and, and, and this, and I love my sentient being. I love my person. It's divine. It's perfect. And he's, sure. he's, he's had these bullshit stories. And so how can I, how can I show him love? How can I hold safe space for him? And that's through breath work. That's through the cold. That's through eating healthy. That's through right. exercising. But, but with, with powerful present intentions, like I don't work out for anything else, but to connect to my person. I don't do meditation for anything else but to connect to my person. I don't do the cold plunge for anything else but to connect to my person. Nothing else. To be present with him so that he knows I'm giving him the love and attention that he needs. And um, you really start creating wow. from consciousness from this higher self. And, and, and you more so end up guiding your person. Right? Because that's what a shaman is. A shaman is the conscious higher self guide holding space for you during a ceremony. Uh, right. Eventually you can hold space for yourself as your higher self during a ceremony. Right. Okay. Wow. <laughs> Anytime your person feels anxious, talk to them. Be like, Hey, like, uh, what is that? What are you feeling right now? You're anxious. I can feel you. Well, mm -hmm. let's, let's go stand on the grass right now and some soak up some sun. Well, come on, let's go. And you actually talk to him. He, it's just like a dog. It, he's, he's beautiful. You know, and he just, he, right. you, you bring him out, you get him in the sun. Like, see, man, doesn't that feel better? Right. Doesn't that feel better. And then he's going to sometimes be really good at manipulating consciousness 
and get pulled in, you know, through the phone. Right. Be like, right. oh man, put down your phone. And he's yeah. Like, yeah. And then he'll even try to barter with you. Yeah. He's like, I'll, I'll start Monday. And you're going to be like, no, we're, we're starting today. Right. 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 It's like you consciousness knows to eat healthy, but the person's like, let's start Monday. Right. Right. Oh, <laughs> I have that conversation with myself every day. Yeah. And so <laughs> if you don't identify with the self, how much easier would that be? Yeah. You'd be like, no, bro, we're eating healthy. And he's like, all right, right fine. And eventually he, he sees it, though. That's what's so neat is that I'm at the point now. I mean, obviously, he still can he still can pull my conscious self in, especially with the phone. It's like a blue light for a fly. Yeah. Wild. Yeah. So I can be consciousness can still be hypnotized. It seems by certain. For sure. But, for sure. but for the most part, he's now understanding what he's a part of and he sees it and he's like, damn, I want this too. I want to, I want to elevate. I want to be more love. I want to be more mindful. I, I want to, yeah. I want to create, he wants to do the meditations now. He, he wants to eat healthy every day now. He wants to train and, and, and become primal and become present now. He wants to go out to nature now. It's not like I'm de debating with him anymore. Right. Yeah. But it's a process, correct? A, oh, for it's, sure. Because yeah. first, first you have to not identify. Yeah. Yeah, that takes forever to, to like really like, wait a second, you know, and then you have to then do all the work. You have to make all the behavioral changes. It's, it's essentially, it's a, it's a rebirth. It's an awakening. Yeah. Yeah. So and interesting. And it's really hard because the ego's dying every time you become present. So you have all these ego deaths that feel like death. Some of them are big, some of them are small. And uh that's it that's I think this is the the space where a lot Oh no. Uh oh. <laughs> See if he comes back. Am I back yet? All right. Cool. Uh, there we go. There we go. <laughs> a call came through. My apologies. No worries. Um, yeah, you know, and eventually I it's just like this process of rebirthing and awakening. And um, you can get there through the breath. That's what's so hmm. neat about this. I think um, more conversations like this can really get people interested in why we're doing it. I think a lot of people don't know why they're doing the breath, why they're meditating, why they're getting in the cold. Right. I think I think they're just kind of going through it because it feels it helps them with their anxiety. Right. Yeah. That's, that's the like the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. 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 yeah it's wild. I've noticed myself, um, you know, because all back to a couple of years ago, like the Wim Hof breathing and then the the, um, you know, in the Wim Hof, the Iceman thing. And um, I've read the stuff and heard the stuff and like you know, the baby steps to it, like just take, um, you know, a minute and stand in your shower in the cold water. And um, I did it a little while, then I got away from it. Then I did it again and then away from it. And then eventually, like I'm at a point now where I take predominantly cold showers. And I, I usually, my biggest complaint is that, you know, cause the hotel showers when I'm on the road for work, get much colder than my home shower <laughs> and i prefer like an ice cold shower at this point yeah. so to to have experienced these processes because that's what they are you know the first couple times i got under the cold water like i was having trouble catching my breath and yes you know the, the whole thing 
but to experience the process of from then to now, and it's been years, you know, I go back to it, get away from it, go back to it, get away. Yes. Where now, like I'll just shower. I like the cold. I mean, granted, I live in Florida. It's hot here all the time, but you know, I mean, a cold shower to me is, I feel more than a hot shower. And I feel better when I've gotten out of that cold shower as well. So it's like, it's, got more longevity there's more i just get more out of it well the thing the reason the main reason why you feel better though like yes because the cold exposure is good like all those scientific studies it's because you became present during that shower Mm -hmm. that's why Mm -hmm. because the cold took your attention and that's why you felt better and that's the consciousness is the, the key to everything. Stillness is the key to the universe. Presence is the key to the universe. Right. So the cold is a tool for you to be present. Right. And that's Cause it. nobody, cause it takes it out of your hands. Yes. Yes. If you're extremely cold, you know, like, like you said, the cold plunge and stuff. I remember playing college football. That was the first time they said like, get in this, you know, this tub. And I remember the first time I did it, like I jumped right back out. Yes. And then in order to get myself in there, um, yeah, I mean, talk, talk, that is a different kind of present than, yes. well, than it's what funny. most it's people like, understand. That's what I talk to people all the time when they go come over for breath work and they go in the cold. I'm like, hey, listen, so your person is going to want to get out. Your person's going to want to get out. It thinks it fell in ice. It doesn't know. Right. It doesn't know. So it's just person, trying to survive. Your person wants to get out guide your person this is where you can jump in the conscious seat you can slow his breath down you can let him know that he's okay right Mm -hmm. so it's just it's just a different it's just a totally different approach so like i get in the cold every day twice a day and he doesn't want to do it sometimes Mm -hmm. but but i know that he'll benefit from it and he does too over time over time Mm -hmm. he's like yeah i do better even though it's hard it's not even the hard part the fact that it helps quiet his mind and when right. I quiet his when I quiet his mind, I connect to the divine. Mm. So that's really that's more so why I do the cold is that it, it brings me present to connect to the divine. I become more conscious. It's the reason sure. why I do the breath is to connect to the divine. So I become more conscious. It's the reason why I do yoga. It's the reason why I weight train. You know, like back in the day before there were phones and all these type of things. When you trained, you actually connected with your human. You would even 100%. talk to him like, "Let's go, let's get this squat." Yeah. Yeah. Right. You would say that to your person. This is what it is. So you would motivate him. Come on, man. You got this. You got this. Let's go get under the weight. You got this. You're amping up your person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then it's so it's it's really interesting to think about why was why is that so accepted as, oh, well, that's what I used to do. And why is talking to uh, or talking about your person as if they are you know, why is that so um, strange? (laughs) Well, I think, I think one, I think a lot of people, again, because I think if you, if you identify as the person, you really are identifying with its five senses. Mm -hmm. And I also think, I also think the world is predominantly left brain, um, especially, especially men and now Mm -hmm. women more than ever. Uh, so I think, and it's done that way on purpose. So we are less uh, mystic. We are less uh, spiritual. So uh, the school system's all left brain, colleges and the workforce, it's all left brain, which in the left brain is very logical. You can't sure. really think about like magic and woo woo shit where the right. right brain is your creative brain. It's where 
you can become creative. So it's also like kind of retraining that new part of your brain to kind of activate. Most men don't really use their right brain, right part of their brain, the right hemisphere very much. And a lot of women have been pulled from their right, right part of their brain because they're naturally more so in the right. right. Um, but now they're in the workforce. They're working out more than ever, which is fine. Right. But they're spending eight to 10 hours in the left um, as opposed to their natural space, which is the right. Right. Um, so there's not very much balance either. So it's a, it's a really wild thing that most people are only left brain. Um, yeah. mm -hmm. so well, it's and it's created like this um, issue with polarity when yes. it comes to Intimacy. male, female. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. You become 100%. friends. Yes. Yeah, you become friends. I mean, that's the, like, I, you know, I'm my wife and I, and I love my wife and everything and, that's not where I want to end up, you know, yeah. like I, I almost have grown to a point now of appreciation for some of um, when we do miss each other, like when we're, when we're not vibing or we're, you know, we don't see things the same way and it causes yes. some conflict because I think to myself like, okay, this may be frustrating as fuck. And you may want to, you know, say like, well, Jesus, can you just fucking keep it to yourself? But if that goes away, you're not going to want to fuck either. Yeah. yeah because you're not like the, it's, it's coming from, and I, and I don't mean it in such simple terms, but like they come from the same place. Yes. So if we become these like roommates who get to get, who get along so well and who puts the toilet seat down and blah, 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 like <laughs> you might, you know, you might kick the legs out of your relationship and not even know it. Yeah, it's a very, very good point. And I think I think it's really wild. You know, a lot of times I think even women now, they don't feel very aligned with their true self because um, women are in the workforce more than ever, which is mm -hmm. all male, male um, left brain. And um, and they've been forced to, like, dress the same as a guy you know, with the suit pants and stuff. And they've been kind of harassed for dressing feminine and expressing themselves, which is what women do. And and they've been kind of labeled a certain thing when they do express themselves. And so they've had to mold and change who they are to mm -hmm. fit this, this, this thing, which screws everything up, like you yeah. said. Um, and then oftentimes we don't know how to get um, our women to shift back into the feminine once they come home from their workforce. And mm -hmm. then also women don't know how to like find their feminine again in many ways. Yeah. And so, yeah. And, and, and um, you really do become, friends and the polarity and the duality and the sex starts to drop yep. so that's a so it, it all it takes is though is again as an awareness shift so if obviously like if you both have to work and the woman's in the workforce and she's in this male environment uh how can we get our partner to drop back into the feminine when she's home right it's, it's through simple things like touch and mm -hmm. you know uh, massage work or foot mm -hmm. rubs or yeah. dance thing right like getting in the drop back and down goofing with them playing with them stuff like that being yeah. creative like encouraging them to paint to draw to get into their yoga all that kind of stuff and and they can find back into the feminine because a lot of times women um often a lot of my clients feel off as well they don't know why they're off and it's because they're spending a substantial amount of time in the masculine yeah. and not in the natural place the feminine i think you're 100 percent right um i i think i i know like what i'm starting to look at myself and understand too, is that I have a role in that. And as a husband, um, 
holding that space for her uh, where she can organically do those things, not do those things because she's been told like, oh, hey, I, um, you know, I'll, I'll take the kids for the next hour, go um, yoga or whatever. But I think that they have to find that space on their own. And what I'm learning is the way, the best way for me to help her find that place is for me to take care of my masculine shit, like handle my stuff. Mm-hmm. No, like finances, me, yes. house, me, lock the fucking door, asshole, put the dishes in the dishwasher, like yeah. just handle your shit so that she can yes. relax into that. Yes. Because if you don't, and, and then you tell her to go do it, she's not going to, they're, you know, we, they're not like that. We're not like them. They're not like us. You know, right. there's a duality there that's supposed to be there. Yes. And if, if you want that duality to, to, you know, be at its best, you need to cultivate it. I agree. Yeah. And you can even, what's cool about a lot of times we can, we can get them to drop by being goofy and like dancing and stuff yes. like that. A lot of times that's a lot of men don't realize being able to be vulnerable is very masculine. It's, it's, it's actually wonderful. And, and like putting music on and dancing with them and like getting them to goof around, it shows that they can do it as well. Like when we mm-hmm. can lead by loving example, by being goofy, by not taking ourselves too seriously, by rolling on the floor and cooking with them and all those types of things, it really gets them to drop back into their feminine quite easily. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. Well, Justin, this has been an absolute uh, pleasure. I I know that from the format that we had, we uh, maybe about ten minutes in. I'm pretty sure we just veered. <laughs> took a hard left. Took a hard it's, left. It's all right. It's kind of par for the course for this podcast. Uh, we really, <laughs> you know, we got to get better at some of that. But however, cool. I like um, the organic approach. Yeah, and I really appreciate um, the places this conversation went. Um, and, uh, like I said, when I, when I first heard you on Mark's podcast, uh, and there were reasons linked to Joe and the work you do and whatnot that I wanted to, I just wanted to pick your brain a little bit and see, um, what your thoughts were. Um, but the conversation took on a whole different, um, a whole different, uh, direction in and of itself. And, and I really enjoyed it and really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. And if I could just give a few recommendations on some books that can help connect the dots for people even more. Anything Eckhart Tolle, The Power of Now and The New yeah. Earth, would be very, very good. He really uses these terms, um, consciousness, okay. unconsciousness. It's really cool. So he start, he kind of talks in similar ways. Um, Michael Singer, uh, The Untethered Soul, a very, very good one. book. Yeah. He talks about the roommate in your mind. He mm-hmm. gives a really beautiful analogy Um, And I'll just share it real quick. Um, This is really a powerful one for a lot of people. So have you ever been into a movie theater? And it's a movie, obviously you've been into a movie theater, but you're going to a movie theater, there's a hundred people in there. It's a cold, dark movie theater. Um, And you sit down and you put the movies on and the movie's so good, you forget that you're in a movie theater. We've all been there. Where the Mm -hmm. movie's so good, you almost like don't feel your body anymore. Right? Mm -hmm. Well, have you ever just sat back in the movie theater and you look around and you realize like there's people like munching on popcorn and stuff like that. 
Well, the movie is your thoughts. And you in the in the in the movie theater are consciousness. Mm-hmm. So sit back from your thoughts. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So everybody's caught up in their thought movie, their identity, their stories, their limitations, their conditioning. They're in their movie. They're in the movie theater, but they mm-hmm. forgot that they're in a movie theater. Just sit back. Uh... Sit back from your thoughts and realize. Right. That you're not the movie. Right. The door's over there. The door's right there. Yeah, sit yeah. back and realize, like, wait a second. And when you sit back, you you sit back in the conscious space. Wow. And then you can be like, all right, well, I can enjoy this movie. I can even play in this movie, but I'm not the movie. I'm right. not the movie. Sit back. And if people start sitting back in that movie chair, and remember that they're in a movie, their thought movie, it can be really powerful. So Michael Singer uses wow. that one in, in his book, which which helps a lot of people. Um, the 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 power of your subconscious is a really wonderful book. It's from like the 1950s, I think. Okay. Unbelievably good. Um, anything Ram Dass, obviously Alan Watts. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah. Who who wrote uh, the power of your subconscious? Do you know? I think or, it's Joseph. I mean, not that it matters. I can still. No, let me check real quick. Oops, sorry, Bubba. I think it's Joseph Murphy. Let me see. Okay. Yeah, he's great because he he uses um, he calls your, your the person the mind consciousness, which is opposite from what I use the term, and he calls he calls the universe your subconscious. So the mind is consciousness, and the mind has thoughts and feelings and emotions and talks and all these type of things. And sure. if it's not careful, the, it, when it says stuff, the subconscious, the universe is listening at all times. God is listening at all times. And whatever you say, it's going to deliver. Wow. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's hmm. a wild, wild book. Yeah. I think it's Joseph Murphy. It's fantastic. Um, I highly recommend it. It really got me into um, being very, very um, careful with, not careful, but um, having intentions with my words, having intentions well, with my thoughts. I no, saw yeah. you had a post either today or recently yes. that was that very thing. And it, and it took me back to um, just some of the reading of the Bible. And, mm-hmm. and there's, you know, uh, endless talk ab- about the power of your words. Um, yeah. So um, I, I get that. Like, I, um, I feel that. And that's kind of a where you're at now, then Justin. Like that, you're you're really kind of, um, and and that's as a result of of reading the power of your subconscious that got you. I was already in I that was direction. Already doing it. I was already doing it, but like everything, like how you reading Joe, and it kind of starts connecting the dots and solidifying like what you're already doing. Like when I started reading this, it was so funny because about three weeks ago, or not maybe three weeks ago, I wrote, "I see my land, five acres. I see." you know, my house, I see, and I was talking about all these things that I see in my future that I'm going to be attracting. And then, you know, like a week and a half later, I snagged this book and it correlates exactly what, what it tells you to do is write these things out, repeat it, share it. And Mm. I was already doing it with all my posts. Like even when I hashtag, I put, I am loving awareness. We are loving awareness. I am Nirvana, right? One power. So I, I'm writing these things out every single day. Mm -hmm. And so, um, that's what's so great about our intuitiveness. If, if we really lean into our intuitiveness, 
our heart, it really kind of like shows us exactly where to go. And that's been most of my, um, most of the way that I've learned. We're always mm -hmm. like, oh, wow, I'm already doing this. And the book kind of um, solidifies what I've been doing. It's the same thing with when I got into breath work. Like I didn't learn breath work. I didn't read anything about breath work. I just started doing it. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and then when I started, and it was funny, it was I, I started having these profound experiences in meditation. And then I randomly found myself in the office and I wasn't even reading at this point. I only started reading like three years ago. And, um, and I found Joe Dispenza's book and it yeah. was like solidifying everything that was happening during these meditations. And I didn't yeah. even know I was meditating. Yeah. I've had very I, similar, uh, it, I like it really, it confirms a lot of things for me to, to hear that, hear you say this. Yeah. And it, it's really great. And, and what you'll cool, what's cool is like, if you read these books and it doesn't connect yet, keep meditating because it'll soon mm. start connecting, like go back and read it again. I think Eckhart Tolle is one of the best people to read. Um, he really explains it well. And then this power subconscious, I mean, I was, I was geeking up on how well he explains it and yeah. uh, different terminology and it takes a moment, but once you understand what he means when he says subconscious and what he means when he says consciousness, you're like, mm. okay, I get it now. And you can have a lot of fun with it. And, he mean he even gets into writing out like long things, long long things, and then reads them three or four times a day, and then again, and then again, and it's just like oh, it's so smart, absolutely wow. smart. Wow. All right. Well, um, I mean, I would, <laughs> I'd love to keep going. Maybe we gotta have you back for a part two here at some point. Hey. The dog wanted to be a part of it the conversation as well that's the cat dennis my bad that's, that's my bad cat. yeah that's the cat <laughs> that cat a is loud a puppy and he's oh, scared of, okay he's scared of the shadow <laughs> i have a french bulldog he's not a puppy but he's dumb so he, uh, <laughs> you know you never know with him well, if you guys are ever in Texas or want to come through, um, even the three of you guys ever want to come through and have a fun trip, I can put you guys through a full meditation like I did with, with Mark and his whole crew. We can I always make that it. happen. And uh, that way you guys yeah. can fully experience what I do. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, anytime. I, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. No, thank you for coming on, man. I wasn't sure, um, you know, what your schedule was like and stuff. And I was like, ah, screw it. It's a shot in the dark. But see what happens. And, and you got back to me, like, within the day. And and uh, I'm, I'm so glad this came together, man. Yes. Yeah, so glad. And um, we'll certainly uh, stay in touch for uh, random things here and there, my friend. This Sounds was uh, good. awesome. Sounds good. Well, it was a pleasure yeah. meeting all of you. Yes, Thank sir. you very much. <laughs> and if there's anything you want to plug right yeah, now, where, Justin, where can, please. You, where can they find you? Where can they see you? Hit us so, up. Hit it up. Yeah, my, my IG is where most people find me, Justin D. Lovato. And then my other IG is Nirvana Mind and Body. And uh, you can also find me on my website at IamNirvana.org. And uh, I think that's pretty much it. So, uh, yeah, I got a bunch of fun programs. If you can't ever make it in person, I have a fully guided programs that are pretty gangster. They're awesome. And then, uh, yeah, you can always find me at those locations. So, outstanding. Sounds awesome. awesome. All right, guys. Justin, thank you, sir. Thank you very much. Appreciate, Appreciate it. Appreciate you. Dennis, Frank. Yeah. Your, your Highness. How are we ending this thing? However, we want to end it. <laughs> there you go, Frank.
Same way we always Frank, do. Frank, what do you got? It's just great. It was this was probably the most fun we've had just listening to the conversation. And I thank you. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Right. Yeah, Ju- Justin, thank you so much. That was that was awesome. Uh, I'm glad you guys liked it. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. This stuff. I mean, it's so freeing. It yeah. really is. It really is the coolest thing ever. Like a- awakening and remembering who you actually are. It's really, really powerful, and um, it the, the whole reality changes. Your whole paradigm changes. It's really quite beautiful, and you really start living at such a level of presence and mindfulness that the world is like it's heaven. It really is. You no longer suffer. That's the craziest thing is that you just never suffer anymore, ever. Hmm. That's nice. That sounds perfect. That's yeah. good stuff. End it with that. Thank you, Justin. Thank you, sir. All right. And end it with say goodnight, Bobby. Good night, Bobby.